Welcome to Finish Well Homeschooling Podcast, where changing the world starts with changing the home, with your host, Meredith Curtis. I'm Meredith Curtis. Welcome to Finish Well Podcast. This is episode 185, Travel to Learn U.S. Geography. You know, I love to travel. I have been blessed to be able to go to London, the Dominican Republic, Germany, the Netherlands, and several places across the USA. And I just always find it so exciting to see new places, see new sites. But one thing I've noticed because I'm a homeschool mom is that when I travel, I learn so much about the place that I'm visiting. I learn about people. I learn about food and culture. I learn about places that I see that are beautiful. And then I just have to know, well, what is that? And that wonder, that sense of wonder that has always accompanied me as I travel to different places, I began to think, and this was right after I came home from London for the first time, I began to think, well, what is it that's so exciting and makes you want to learn when you travel? And how can you impart that into ordinary life? Because if I could, I would just, you know, have a private jet. I mean, that wouldn't hurt the environment, of course, and travel all around the world, see all kinds of places, travel all around the country, because there's such a sense of wonder when you travel. And there's such an excitement when you don't just learn, okay, in this country, the most predominant um, crop is you know, coconuts or something. And, but when you go to a place and every dish that you eat has coconut in it, you start to think, well, what about coconuts? I guess they must grow a lot of coconuts here because they sure eat a lot of coconuts. And that's the kind of sense of curiosity and wonder that happens when you travel. And so anyway, when I came back from my trip to London, I thought to myself, I would really like to be able to impart that sense of curiosity and wonder into geography studies um, because geography is all about, you know, it's learning about different places around the world and around our country and so much of what is a natural resource in a place or the terrain, the landforms. All of those things that we kind of learn about in a factual way in a geography book, when you actually are there and you find, wow, (laughs) you know, I can hardly breathe. Oh, that's because we're at high altitude. And then you find out, well, how high are we? And so it's very different than reading, you know, this city is so many feet above sea level. It's just a very different way of learning. And so anyway, when I came back, I wrote my first geography unit study with that idea, and that was called Travel to London. And since then, I have done a a world geography book and a U.S. geography textbook and and then several supplements, including a cookbook that my um, dear friend Laura Nolet and I wrote together. So anyway, all of that has given me a new outlook on geography. I always love to teach geography, and this idea really didn't happen starting in London because 
when we taught geography, when I taught geography as a mom, we would do a lot of cooking and baking and look at a lot of pictures from different places. And then when Laura and I did U.S. geography co-op and then a world geography co-op, for the world geography co-op, we used passports with the idea of travel. And when they would learn about a country, they'd get their passport stamped. So we were cultivating this idea of travel throughout the years. I started homeschooling in 1991. Anyway, all that to say, here I am. It's 2023, and I'm finishing up a year of teaching geography online, and I've put these principles into practice in probably the fullest way. Let's travel to learn about the U.S. Let's travel to learn about our 50 states and our five territories And how does that look in real life? Because you can do it in your family room. You can do it in an online course. You can do it in your homeschool co-op. It really begins with a mindset, a mindset that we are traveling. And so I always love PowerPoints. I always show PowerPoints in my classes. And at the beginning, I always have this empty suitcase. And I ask the kids, okay, today we're going to these four states. What would you bring with you? And then my next slide is a slide of what I would bring with me. And I think that immediately gets the mindset in to the kids that we are going to travel. Now, if home in my own house with my children or with my grandchildren, I say, okay, today we're going to go to Texas. Here's an empty suitcase. What would you bring with you to Texas? And I think that, again, it begins to get children thinking, well, what is Texas like? What's the weather like? You know, what should we bring with us to Texas? So that is the mindset behind the idea of travel. And I want to get really practical with you because if you say, yes, yes, I'm tracking you, I agree with you, I think traveling to learn geography is the best way, but okay, beyond an empty suitcase, what do I do? Okay, that's a good question. So I'm just going to walk you through how I travel to learn U.S. geography. So the first thing I do is I introduce the place that we're visiting, which is the whole country of the United States. We didn't just visit the 50 states. We also visited five territories that belong to the United States where people live there all year round. And so that was really interesting because most times people don't talk about the territories. They don't study them, but they're just so unique. They're all located in the tropics. And anyway, Back to the beginning. So the very beginning, I talk about how the United States grew, what it looks like. I kind of give this big, broad overview of the United States. And so I start with talking about how it began with the 13 colonies and Britain had ceded much of the land to the Native Americans. So when we won the Revolutionary War, the area of land more than doubled that was available to the to the brand new United States. And then, of course, the Louisiana Purchase, even more. And then Spanish ceding some land to us, annexing Texas, the Mexican-American War. All of those things just began to grow and grow our country. And I talk about, you know, how we fixed the top boundary line between the U.S. and Canada with Britain. Uh, Canada was uh, 
great British at that point and why we did it to make our boundary like a straight line. And so that again, like lands change hands, some went to Britain, some came to the United States. And so then I even talk about how the territories were added. So I give them this big overview. So here we start with 13 colonies that are British, and then we grow to the big United States. But I also pull out two maps, a climate map that is very colorful and easy to use, and then a landform map. I don't get specific I give them this general overview. So with the climate, I talked about the East Coast and how the East Coast is so, you know, the kind of weather like down in the Southeast, very hot, very humid, mild winters moving up the coast to the mid-Atlantic and then to New England, very cold winters up in New England. But all of the East Coast is basically very lush, very green, lots of rain, lots of humidity in the air. And then as we move across the United States, um, we talk about, you know, the different different places. The Midwest is kind of moderate, um, but as you as you get to the edge of the Midwest, you start to see the climate begin to change, become very drier, um, much higher in altitude. And then finally, when you get again to the West Coast, California is very dry, but but more rain, more lush. But some places in Washington and Oregon are very humid again. There's even a rainforest out there. So that's kind of what we look at, just that general you know, the, the southeast, uh, southwest deserts, very dry. And, but we just look at it in a very big way. And, and so yes, there's pockets that are the exception in all of those places. But we look at the general layout as far as climate. We look at the general layout as far as landforms, like over on the East Coast, you've got, um, the Atlantic coast kind of region that's very flat. Um, very good for farming. And then you've got the rolling hills, again, very good for farming, very fertile soil. And then you've got the highlands. You've got the Appalachian Trail that runs all the way up. And so we look at the, we look at those maps in a really general way. And I, I love to use maps because they're so fun and you can find beautiful, colorful ones and they really help get the point across. So there they have this idea of here's the United States. But we do more than that. We talk about farms. Um, did you know that every state in the U.S. grows corn? I didn't know that. So, like, I, I actually wrote a, a textbook um, called God Bless the USA, Exploring States and Territories, and I learned so much. But we talk about farming and where farming is big, where ranching is big. And I show them, like, how the farming places where a lot of, these kind of things grow, it's kind of related to the climate. It's related to the terrain or the landform. So um, we just get this big, broad overview. Uh, The U.S. is such a big farming country. Um, It's just absolutely so amazing. Anyway, so we, we look at a big overview of the U.S., and we don't take a long time to do that. It really, we kind of do it in one day. 
um, one session together. And then we start the road trip. And that's when I say, okay, we're going to travel across the USA. We're going to go region to region to region. Now, why do I go region to region to region? Um, and just sort of hopping here and there. Well, because each region is unique. And yes, each state is unique, but, but there's so much with the regions that is unique. For instance, in the Southeast, you find people, um, say, y'all, they, they're very polite. They are very, um, they go to church. Most of the people in the Southeast go to church. It's the Bible Belt. They love football. Like they're just, they like grits. Um, there's just certain things about the, the Southeast with food, with culture. When you go out to the Midwest, they're so friendly. They're so helpful. They're always like, Oh, I'll do that for you. I can do, you know, not everyone, not maybe not even in the big city, but in general, there's a culture in the med- Midwest and lots of hot dishes, which, you know, in the South, in the Southeast, we call casseroles, but, um, you've got this culture there and you've got a different kind of culture in the southwest and a different kind of lifestyle because it's all affected by the climate it's affected by the landforms it's affected by what mineral resources are there which leads to what businesses are there what kind of farming takes place there in the, the biggest way um And I remember being so surprised because I moved to Arizona as a young bride and everybody kept tortillas in. um, They had special Tupperwares for tortillas. And I was so surprised because we I mean, back this was back in the early 80s. There weren't a lot of, you know, there was you would go special out and buy tortillas. Now tortillas are more mainstream, but it's always been mainstream in the culture of the Southwest. So that's why we go region to region because there's so much overlap. For instance, when you get out to the Southwest, you've got Oklahoma and Texas with oil. You've got um, Oklahoma and Texas with these big cattle ranches. But you've also got cattle ranching in New Mexico and Arizona. And then you have a lot of Native Americans in those four states. So just uh, that affects the culture. And there's a lot of influence of the Native Americans in the Southwest. Other places, too, especially Alaska, but definitely, definitely in the Southwest. So that's what we do. So we start with an overview of each region. And one thing I'd love to do is give kids a blank outline map and, um, I tell them, you know, add these things. And, of course, rivers and lakes are so important. One of the things we talk about through the year is watersheds and how um, when you have an area of, like, the Mississippi River and its tributaries, that is a big watershed, and how that is so important for the people. And we also talk about extreme weather. Each region seems to have extreme weather that is unique to them. For instance, blizzards, nor'easters up in New England and some of the northern mid-Atlantic states, they don't have those, you know, in the southeast or the southwest. But those are things unique to um, their region. So the kids first do a map. 
a regional map. And that's why I like to have a really nice atlas that they can use. And they do this map and they are drawing. And I ask them to make it a work of art because, of course, we want to get other subjects in here like art, like drawing. And so there they are. You know, they're working on putting in their mountains, putting in their um, natural wonders that are, you know, really well known. Like, of course, if you're doing um, a regional map of the southwest, you're going to put the Grand Canyon in because that's one of our natural wonders. And so they're putting these things in. And then, of course, the capitals of each state and then maybe some major cities, cities that are very important. Some of those cities are capitals. And it's very interesting. We we do learn and memorize the capitals and the abbreviations as we go, because one of the things I tell my children is this. If you're watching the news, they'll say something like this. In Trenton yesterday, lawmakers, blah, blah, blah. Well, why are they saying Trenton? Why aren't they saying in the capital of New Jersey, lawmakers? Because they're assuming that, you know, that Trenton is the capital of New Jersey. And that's where things are really heating up and taking place in Albany. Um, they're not going to say in the capital of New York, they're just going to say in Albany. So if we want to keep up with what's going on, it, knowing capitals is important. It's not just something you do to memorize, you know, the capitals. Abbreviations are helpful, too, because you can use abbreviations to Google. You use abbreviations to mail letters. But abbreviations a lot of times are used and you, you know, some of them are tricky, like, um, for example, you know, some of them are really basic, like Florida. The first two letters of Florida are FL, and so Florida is Florida, but uh, FL. But when you get to some of these tricky states, like you've got Massachusetts, Maine, Michigan, Mississippi, Minnesota. So if you see the word, the letters MI, is that Michigan? Is that Mississippi? Is that Minnesota? Um, is M.A. Maine or Massachusetts. So knowing those um, abbreviations for some of them can be a little tricky. Um, so abbreviations. So we will we will um, put abbreviations in there um, and then we are going to um, start going to the individual states. Now, I just want to tell you, I told you I'm teaching uh, U.S. geography online. And part of it is the mindset. You know, we're traveling, we're going here, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And I can't tell you how many of my students will text me or, you know, email me and say, this is my favorite class. I love the way you teach. And so it's not so much, you know, I teach other classes that kids in such high numbers, don't tell me this is my favorite class. I think there's something exciting about the idea that we're traveling. And so when we, we do our map, we do, um, we talk about the culture and the food from the region. And I have the kids with each region make a meal or a dish from that region. And that they love. They take so many pictures. You know, I told you I teach online and said so they'll upload 
um, pictures and I'm like, yeah, just upload one picture to show me that you made the dish. Well, they'll upload 12 pictures. And um, finally, I realized they want to show each other the pictures. So we have time where we do that. And it's really fun. But there's also music, you know, like bluegrass music, um, country western music, um, music that's unique to certain places like Motown, like the blues. So all of those are fun to kind of explore. Sometimes you do it in the state, but sometimes it's very pervasive through the whole culture. And um, then, of course, different food. When you get up into New England, the Mid-Atlantic, a lot of seafood and um, blue crabs in Maryland and things like that. So we talk about all those different things in our regional overview. And again, with our regional overview, we just spend a day on it Um or a week, you know, it takes about a week to get the map done and things like that. And then we start our tour. We start our tour of each state. And so the way I, I teach is that we learn, um, about the state. So we learn about the climate. We learn about, you know, Anything that's predominant, like, you know, a mountain that's really famous or like in Colorado, the Rocky Mountain National Park. Um, and we, we learn about things like that. What, what is the place like? Like when we get out of our minivan, when we get off the plane, what are we going to see? How are the, um, even, and then I always ask kids to share. What is, has anyone ever visited this place? What was it like? That's if I'm teaching a class and my own children, I'll say, what, what do you remember? Remember we visited this place. What do you remember about it? And so they, they read about the place and basically I use pretending we're going there. So, Hey, we're going to West Virginia. We could go whitewater rafting and this is the most popular place to go whitewater rafting in the eastern section of the country. So that's really exciting, really fun. A lot of times I'll show a video of whitewater rafting in that place. Or if a place is really famous for spelunking, um, caving, I will show a video of that place and we'll pretend, you know, we're going along. And that's what's so fun right now. That wasn't the case when I started teaching geography. I had to go check out books, you know, more formal pictures. But now you can go on YouTube and you can find pictures like there are people who love to travel or just travel maybe once a year. And they take videos and they're really fun. And we watched a video the other day. We were uh, ending the year with the five territories and we watched a video about this um, a Japanese uh, tourist who was visiting American Samoa and just talking about the, his favorite things to visit there. And it was really neat because we saw a lot of places, but it was very much like we were traveling. And I've used so many uh, travel videos and also drones. One of the things that, not my personal drone, but drone videos, because one of the things with drone videos is that you can find these gorgeous um, high definition videos of places that are just wow. I discovered them in about November uh, of this past school year. 
And I use them for the rest of the year because they are absolutely amazing. And especially places like Alaska, you know, there's places in Alaska that people just can't get to. And so you can see these drone videos, uh, drones going over an active volcano, things like that. Very, very um, exciting and beautiful. And some of the places like you can tell someone, oh, this place is gorgeous. It has these mountains and, you know, these animals live there. But when they see um, a drone video of going over a place like that and they see the animals and they see the plants and they just say, wow, that's gorgeous. That's so pretty. Another kind of video that I've used um, for several of the different states is um, just where someone will leave a camera in the woods and they will, um, or by a watering hole. This was one of my favorites. They left a camera by a watering hole. And there was one of these in Maine and there was one of these in Arizona that I used and they just show the animals that come to the watering hole. It's very, very interesting. And, um, just so you see, okay, you know, I can give my kids a list of animals, but we just watch that video and then I say, okay, what animals did you see? And, um, so I was really excited and my kids were really excited about the kind of animals that you can see in Maine, like moose and like, uh, puffins and just very exciting. And also in Alaska, um, we showed some funny videos of moose because they will actually come into town and they will, you know, so you can add humor, but still we're learning like what are moose like. Um, and so I, I like to use a lot of uh, amateur videos um, in that way, because they just sort of bring things more to life. Like if we were really visiting there, this is the kind of adventures we have. I use a lot of adventure videos as far as, you know, like I talked about whitewater rafting, um, mountain climbing, uh, exploring caves, things like that, you know, like, okay, you know, we're here now. And now we're, you know, we, if, if we were actually there in person, we would be doing this. And so that is something that's really popular. So, um, they also, I also have my children do one simple page of research per state. And that is just very easy. They just look up when the state became a state and the flower, the bird. And I also, I'm bringing in the art again and the drawing. I have them, I give them a picture of the flag and then they create the flag, recreate the flag with colored pencils. What happens when someone copies art like that? They study it very intensely to duplicate it. So. I really like using the symbols that belong to the states because, for example, the coins, I'll use the coins, the state stamps, the state flag, and the state um, seal. And I'll put those up. If I'm teaching online, I'll put them up in on a PowerPoint page, and I'll just put it up there, and then I'll do this. I'll say... What do you notice about the seal, the flag, the coin? And and by now they've read their little blurb, a couple pages about the state. 
what do you notice about this? And then we would talk about that and they notice a lot. And then why do you think that's there? Now, some are very, you know, unique um, because like Connecticut has grapevines and um, they have to do with um, a scripture and they have to do with the original city. So that I'll, I'll just throw that out there and let you wonder what that is. But so it's very, very um, it's it's not, kids learn a lot when they think about things like, so what is this? And, and what do you think that represents from the state? Um, the other thing is that we do a roadmap from every state. Now, why do we do a roadmap? Well, I guess because I'm old and I feel sad sometimes that people use GPS without even looking at a map. So sometimes GPS might take them a longer way or sometimes, you know, they just don't learn as they travel because they just follow the GPS. Turn right in point four of a mile. And I'm thinking, but what about looking at a map? What about the joy of getting on a road trip and having the atlas and you're looking where these roads go and these roads to go? So I'm trying to um, give younger children an opportunity to do road mapping. My road mapping is super simple. And all they do is like, if you were going from here to here, what road would you take? It's not difficult at all. It's not like, you know, anything super hard, but it does introduce them to using a roadmap. And also one of the things that kids love to learn about is, you know, how roads were named, what is the system? For example, a lot of my children never knew this. We talked about it this past year in my online class at True North Home School Academy. We talked about the interstate system, which, of course, Eisenhower was very impressed with the Audubon when they were fighting Germany in World War II, General Eisenhower, who became our president, because they could get troops and um, vehicles and weapons from one place to another very quickly because of the design of the Audubon. And that's the road system in Germany. So he came back and when he was president, he started the interstate system for America. And so the purpose of the interstate system most people don't know, but is if you ever want to move troops and weapons quickly from one place to another, the interstate system is set up to move the military. But, of course, we enjoy the benefits of it because we get to go from place to place. How nice to just get on the interstate and not have to stop at red lights. Well, interestingly, um, the interstate is lined up. So from south to north, the numbers start small and get bigger. And from south to north, the road numbers are even. So you have I-10 that starts in Jacksonville and heads west through Tallahassee and keeps going. And I-10, of course, is, you know, even an even number. And then as you move up, you've got I-40. And I-40 is, of course, an even number because it goes from um, the so it's an even number because it goes from east to west. But it as you move up from south to north, the numbers get higher. Now, interstates that go from north to south, those interstates 
move um, from the west to the east. So the lowest number is five over on the east coast, on the west coast. And as it moves all the way over, the highest number is 95 on the east coast. So the roads that run north and south are um, odd numbers. Anyway, that's also interesting to kids because they're like, wow, I never knew that. And, you know, you start by asking, so are there any interstates in your state? Um, if you're in, at home, you'd say, are, do, are there any interstates we ever get on? Uh, maybe if there's no interstate nearby, like when you travel further, um, you've been on one. So anyway, all those kind of things are exciting. Route 66, of course, um, it was the old fashioned way to go from place to place, but it's very exciting to learn about because why they, you know, designed it. And, and so all of those are fun. Roads are fun and it gives also that concept that we are traveling. Um, and I talked about cooking and baking, but I will just say this. Cooking and baking is fascinating, and it is really fascinating as you are, like Laura and I, I said, we put together a cookbook, God Bless the USA Cookbook, and that's a link to that is in your show notes. But one of the things that was so exciting about putting together this cookbook is learning so much about the U.S. because you see that different regions have different kinds of cooking. And then you see dishes that are very popular, very related to the state itself. And there they have, um, and there they have this link between the, what's produced, what's abundant and what those popular dishes are. So it was really fun to learn about the U.S. like that. And also some states have state foods. Some states have a state meal. Oklahoma has a state meal that is abundant. I mean, it has grits and collard greens and um it, it's just really, anyway, I'll leave that for you to explore. Um, when I teach geography with my children, I really want them to have the experience of traveling to learn. That's really important to me because I hope they do want to travel. I hope they do want to discover sites and places that um, speak of our heritage, that are things that we can appreciate. Like it's exciting to me to see the Statue of Liberty. It's exciting to me to go to Williamsburg, old Williamsburg in Virginia and walk through that place and remember, wow, this is what it was like before we even became a nation. So all of those things are traveling is a great education, but you don't have to leave your family room to put the travel bug into your children and to instill that sense of curiosity and wonder that does come from traveling. If you're interested in geography online, um, I teach a class called U.S. Geography at True North Homeschooling. It's for middle school kids, but I'm sh- if you have a fifth grader, I'm sure they would fit right in. And we use two of the books that I wrote. One is called um, God Bless the USA, Exploring States and Territories, and that's the main text. And then the other book is called 
um, God bless the USA state capitals and abbreviation. And that is just worksheets to memorize the state capitals and memorize the abbreviations. And of course they learn about all the different state capitals, um, and the five territory state capitals. So those are the two books we use, but I also recommend that kids get God bless the USA cookbook because it is full of amazing recipes. And of course the cookbook also has so much information about food, farming, ranching in the U.S. So they're definitely, um, definitely worth checking out. Um, you can use this whole series. There's several resources in the series. You can use this series at a homeschool co-op. You can use it at home. Um, and of course you, I would love to have you take my class with me online. So, um, have a wonderful, wonderful week. Um, I'll see you again very soon. And remember to bring the fun and the joy into homeschooling. What a privilege we have to homeschool our children. And I'm glad we're both on this adventure together. God bless you. Thank you for listening to Finish Well Homeschooling Podcast with Meredith Curtis and the Finish Well team. Please listen in every first and third Monday of each month at 7 p.m. Eastern Time here at the Ultimate Homeschool Podcast Network.